0: So we really just kind of took a step back and we're like, okay, what do developers want? And it's really education and it's connections with each other. It's wild. All of a sudden, these conferences become way more accessible, right? We have people from every country, we're expecting about 2,000 people. And instead, at our virtual conference, we just passed 12,000.
1: Hello, and welcome to Developer Love, the podcast for people who build developer communities. We'll hear from people working to win the hearts and minds of developers, including founders, execs, and the top minds of developer relations, dev marketing, and community management. I'm Patrick Woods, the CEO of Orbit, the community experience platform. Developer Love is brought to you by Heavybit, an accelerator and venture fund dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. Today we're speaking with Yana Baruta, Director of Global Events and Experiential Marketing for HashiCorp, and she's also the co-creator of the online conference series EpicConf. Yana, thanks so much for coming on the show today. To get us started, would you mind sharing a little bit about who you are and what you're working on?
0: Sure. Thanks for having me, Patrick, and I'm glad we can connect. I know the first time we met was on a panel that heavy bit led. Is that July? That seems so oh, wow, yeah. so long ago now. <laughs> Um, so I'm Yana. I've been doing developer marketing, community building, I guess for the last eight nine years. I started at like a company called Engine Yard. I was at New Relic, uh, and now I'm at HashiCorp, and I've been at HashiCorp for the last five years, a little bit more than five years.
1: Awesome. How did you make your way into the world of of developers and communities?
0: Yes. Well, I graduated college in 2008 during the worst part of the recession. We all graduated. They gave us our diplomas and they're like, go have fun. And you're like, okay, I have all this college debt. Uh, What do I do now? And I was living in Colorado at the time and I couldn't find a job there. And finally, my my parents, I grew up in Berkeley they're like, just come home. So I came home. And just got really lucky. My the first job I ever had was like a customer support job at an online advertising company called Jibox. They're they're actually still around. And so I just started at just like a really low level position doing customer support, and eventually like slowly moved into sales there. And then um, I ended up getting a job at Engine Yard, which was really Engine Yard is no longer around. It, It was a competitor to Heroku and They were phenomenal. Like that was my first exposure to the Ruby on Rails community, to the developer community. And they just did so much to build community. They sponsored a lot of conferences, they hosted meetups, they had their own meetups, they sponsored open source projects, they hired folks to work on open source projects. And I think that was my first real experience into how to like properly build community in like the developer world. So I was doing sales and I was like, wow, I really don't love Selling right. I really love building relationships. I really love connecting with people, and so that's why I made the pivot into like community building and focusing on online and offline community. And I've been doing that ever since.
1: Yeah. So, what do you think is the role of events when it comes to building and sustaining communities?
0: <sighs> that's such a great question because uh, that's exactly what my team is focused on now. And so, Devrel, and I'm sorry if you can hear my niece and nephew running around, but <laughs> Devrel has a set of activities right that help build community around your product or, or helps you know build community in general and that's from in-person events right you're hosting meetups doing conferences to a lot of online activities like uh, launching a forum or an education platform having a swag store uh, running like monthly hackathons things like that right so Deborah makes it's a collection of activities, right? That helps you build community. And events is one piece, and and I think a super important piece. What's been really great at HashiCorp is from the very beginning, building community was embedded into how we work, think, operate, right? So when HashiCorp hired me in 2015 to do our first HashiConf, and we're doing our tenth one next week, which is which is nutty to think about. They just deeply understood. They're like, hey, we just want to bring together our community that's never met in person. Into a space and teach each other, right? And from the very beginning, our conferences were about knowledge sharing. How do we teach people, right? How do we have either workshops or trainings or really technical talks? How do we build genuine connections amongst the community members, uh, genuine connections between HashiCorp employees and the attendees, and then also trust building, right? How do we kind of build trust? Uh, and so, if something does go wrong, right? People are like, "Oh, well, we love Hashicorp. We love what they're doing. You know, maybe something went down or something went wrong, right? But if you have this trust, people know that you're in it for the long haul and like it builds a bit more empathy right amongst amongst you and your community. So yeah, events are super important. It builds trust, it builds loyalty, uh, it builds connections, it builds brand. It, <laughs> there's so many benefits.
1: Yeah, thanks. I was just taking taking notes there because it's. always learn so much in these conversations.
0: Yeah, and again, so what's really beautiful is we've been doing these from the beginning and I mean, I've I've definitely spoken to community managers that ask me, they're like, okay, Yana, what was the ROI on that one meetup or how many leads did you get out of that? And I think, yes, there needs to be some type of KPIs you measure, but there's also, like we did the first HashiComp and we had a really big bank that spoke, right? It was one of the first now customers to speak about how they were using Vault in production. Well, Four years later, we close a multi-million dollar deal with them. I can't now go back to that first comp and apply that to that event, right? But it was because of these different touch points over the years, right? Building trust and then attending workshops and different events. And it's a bunch of different touch points, right, that DevRel has or marketing has that then helped us get this person now over the line to close a deal.
1: Yeah, Totally. We see that a lot. And I'm interested in your perspective on some of the benefits of events and community related to trust and empathy and loyalty and, and sort of abstract notions uh, in the context of generating demand and closing deals, which is sort of very objective and feels sort of at the opposite end of some conceptual spectrum. How do you personally navigate the potential tension between the the qualitative and the quantitative measures of, of the work that you do? And how do you tell that story internally?
0: I mean I've definitely struggled with this at past companies of hey it's not this one activity but it's a collection of activities over time that help build and strengthen your community right to then get those benefits of building trust opening up channels for valuable feedback things like that so it's something that I just I push really hard for and stay true to and at least at HashCorp I'm lucky right because again it's a top down type situation where it's like okay if Leadership believes in building community. That I don't have to fight as hard, <laughs> right, for resources or money or things like that. So I think I've been a bit luckier um, at HashiCorp.
1: Yeah, we've seen that the top-down nature of, of that buy-in is incredibly important, and it's a almost a cultural orientation that has to permeate a company.
0: Yeah, it really does, because then that impacts a lot of the decisions you make. Because DevRel again is a small piece in terms of like marketing as a whole, but we then make strategic decisions on like, okay, hey, we have these websites, right? We have like a a website that's just dedicated for Terraform and for Vault. And we're like, okay, well, our community goes to these. So let's make sure that we don't kind of have like pop up, like, hey, come talk to sales, right? So it's like, we make these decisions of like, okay, our people are practitioners, right? It's a community. We're trying to build community. So let's make sure that we don't make decisions then that hurts how they want to interact with us. Like, for example, people love to talk to us on GitHub, right? So it's like, well, let's go talk to our community where they want to talk to us instead of forcing them to communicate. On a platform and in an avenue that they don't want to, or there are .io sites, right, where are like the Vault Terraform, where people go. Let's not impact that, right, and, and move it underneath the corporate site, and then it gets lost, and it's really hard for people to find. So we always try to make a lot of strategic decisions in terms of how we build out the websites, how we build out our learn platform, different platforms, and then also how we build our products, right? Like what goes into our open source. Right versus what goes into enterprise, so it's a whole collection of things. But it's a top down of if we believe in building community, we're going to make the right decisions for our community.
1: So I'm curious, you know, thinking about 2020, uh, I know you had to <laughs> made a, you made a lot of shifts in your strategy and your approach. How would you characterize kind of the top two or three, you know, big learnings you've had so far as you've transitioned things to online and dealt with all of the shifts in the environment?
0: Yeah, that's so funny. As I'm preparing for our largest digital conference next week. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Um, I would be flying to San Diego right now. We'd be putting on uh, HashiConf US. So it was, was going to be in San Diego. We were expecting about 2,000 people. And instead, next week at our virtual conference, we just passed 12,000 registrations. Wow! So that's 6x the amount amount of people. And that's huge right there, right? All of a sudden, these conferences become way more accessible, right? We have people from every country registered to come and it's it's low cost, it's affordable, it's accessible. And I think that's been kind of my biggest learning or our biggest learning of like, okay, why didn't we always have like a fully built out kind of digital experience, right? Why was it so much like you needed to come and, and be there? And yeah, we would live stream the keynote, but it's now from what we've learned, I, I just put together like an RFC for the evolution of HashiConf. Um, so through next year, I, they're going to be virtual, right? Until we figure out what's going on with COVID, until we get a vaccine, it's not safe to host large-scale in-person events, which is fine. But after that, I'm going to approach these as hybrid events, right? So we'll have a fully built out digital experience. Uh, people can talk to each other, That um, they can watch the talks, things like that. Uh, we do this like, you can watch a talk and watch it later as as well, right? Because if you're on different time zones, things like that, sometimes you can't watch it live. And then maybe some type of small in person as well. I think Apple does this really well, and I love modeling after things Apple does. You know, they do their big product launches, which are streamed to you know hundreds of thousands of people, but they'll have a small kind of VIP right where they'll do press, analysts, the engineers that built stuff. So for us, it's like, well, let's still have kind of small. Maybe it's it's our ambassadors or core contributors or just. Still kind of building community right and bringing people together you know I was about to before covet hit I was about to book a venue for 23 and 24 it was gonna be the Washington Convention Center because I I had a four-year kind of growth plan for my HashiComps and we were in by 2023 expecting HashiComp to grow to 10,000 people wow. <laughs> but now, right like but actually who wants to attend a 10,000 person conference right mm. like do you actually enjoy going to AWS reinvent <laughs> I personally don't. I find them like overwhelming and exhausting. And and especially for our community, right? Some people are like extroverted, introverts, and some people are introverts. So imagine going into an environment that's, you know, has 10,000 or 50,000 people. And I think it's harder to build community at that scale. So I'm actually really happy with this shift of digital, right? These building out these really interesting digital experiences, figure out how to make them engaging and sticky. And then the future of events, right, will be this hybrid model of some portion will be in person. But again, you will still have that really awesome digital experience. That's my bet anyways.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, What have been some of your favorite tactics or tricks you've learned as you've transitioned to doing all this stuff online?
0: So it's interesting with a digital conference there's like two main components that make up a digital conference, right? There's kind of the broadcast portion, which is your speakers and your content and and broadcasting out. So the biggest thing I learned is like, oh, my team, we're actually like TV producers. Like we're running a TV show. We have... A minute by minute run of show, right? We uh, you have to license music and you have breaks and you have speaker Q and A's, right? So, and you have lower thirds that need to roll in to introduce your speakers. So it's you're actually running a TV show, and that's actually how we record the talks at in person events. We used to have really long talks, but now you're like, oh, how do you make you know one episode, right? One speaker, how do you make that talk engaging, right? And so we're we're learning a lot from like. TV producers on how to make our talks like interesting and engaging. So that's one, it's like, we are now, we're running a TV show. And two, it's the platform piece, right? It's like, I mean, you could just use YouTube, right? And, and, and stream it, that that's one way or, or Twitch, right? But it, it's how do you create an engaging online experience and it's that platform. And there's some products out there, out of the box. I actually wish someone would build something great. I haven't found anything great yet. Everything's kind of fine. We decided to, the approach of building our own. So we hired a team out of the Netherlands to build our own, which is also has its own. As I'm like, right before you, Patrick, you and I jumped on, we're like, Oh my God! These features, right? We're right now in the testing <laughs> environment, checking everything. We're like, God, do we have to cut this feature? Is it going to like, we're opening the platform right to twelve thousand people on Sunday, and we're like, is it going to be ready? I don't know, right? Like, <laughs> so I, I both things have its own issues, right? Like an out of box platform, right? You can't really control the experience, and for us, at HashiCorp, design is so important. The practitioner experience is so important. So for us, we're like hey, how do we create a really seamless, beautiful experience? And so that's why we decided to build our own. But again, that's stressful. Um, And another reason we decided to build our own because we're like, okay, how do you make something engaging and interesting in an online experience? And so for us with this platform, we're like, okay, so for one, people really need to be able to watch the talks and see the talks really easily right? So you need to make sure you're not having any bandwidth issues. Um, We made the choice to pre-record a lot of our talks. Uh, Some people do it live, which is fine, but we're like, live can mean a lot of different things. So for us, like our MCs are live, our chat is live. So it's like the platform and the other things are what make the conference live. So just because our keynote isn't live doesn't mean you can't chat with people or you can't ask questions, things like that. Our speaker Q&A is live. So anyways, we're playing around what live means. But we just didn't want to risk something going wrong, right? Our keynote has six different people that come in, right? Some of these talks have, you know, two or three, or there's panels. So for us, we're like, hey, we don't want to take that risk. So that's one. Yeah, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, right, building a platform. So uh, we tried to build this custom platform to increase engagement, right, and to figure out how to like make this thing sticky, like how do people stay? Um, so again, being able to watch talks is really important. Being able to chat. And it's so funny, in June, we had a chat that refreshed after each talk, but it killed the conversation. So for this one, we're like, hey, let's have a continuous chat, being able to really easily ask questions so people can submit questions to speakers and attendees can vote on it. Having a a really easy schedule, so being able to create a schedule. Because I think in a virtual setting, people are distracted, right? You have a bunch of other meetings. It's not like someone is at an in-person conference And they're just kind of going from talk to talk, getting a coffee, stuff like that. Here, people have kids at home and their pet needs to go out or they need to go get a coffee. So you can't expect someone to stay on all day. So we tried to design a really nice schedule where you can like, oh, I'm just going to make my own schedule. These are the talks I want to go to. You can add it to your calendar. You'll also, if you have the platform open, it will just ping you like, hey, um, Mitchell and Armand's opening keynote starting in five minutes. Join us. So it's like a really nicely built out schedule. And then we're trying this cool thing where we're hosting... um, You can host a lightning talk. So we're trying to replicate the hallway track, but in a digital setting. So you can like, hey, I want to host a lightning talk on this kind of plugin I built. Or a sponsor, right? That's part of a sponsor. Instead of having someone come to your booth, a sponsor is just kind of hosting a lightning talk. Some of our core contributors are hosting lightning talks. So... Again, trying to play with how do you make something sticky and engaging and interesting so people stay. Another thing we're having a lot of fun with is we always have really good coffee at our conferences and we do it's called at the Hashi Cafe. And I really love, I don't know, you think of like 1920s in Paris, right? Where you had like a lot of intellectuals and artists and musicians would sit at cafes, right? And kind of smoke cigars and drink coffees and just kind of talk. So we always tried to create kind of that setting hmm. at our conferences. And we're like, oh, shoot, well, now it's virtual. So how do we create a virtual cafe? And so we start the conference actually with, um, we just hired a barista that's walking people through like how to make the perfect cup of coffee at home. And then the next video is someone just kind of doing like latte art and creating all of our, like the HashiCorp logo and the Packer logo and latte art. And there's just like really cool music. So the Hashi Cafe's, fun visuals and music and artists, but it's just something you can passively watch, right? So it's like, hey, you're going to fully be engaged in a talk, but then you need a break. We'll just go to the Hashi Cafe and listen to some music on the background. Um, And I hired a bunch of like my friends to create, again, you have licensing stuff. So it's not like you can play like, Kanye West or something. So creative music. So again, it's, it's so funny. I actually got into a LinkedIn debate maybe last week or something where someone had posted like, oh, virtual events aren't, people aren't coming to virtual events or people aren't staying. And I'm like, okay, but have you actually tried to think about the attendee experience? Have you actually tried to think about like how to make this thing engaging? Right. And, and maybe like, maybe we'll fail, right. Maybe the lightning talks won't work or maybe people are like, oh, this music is horrible. I didn't want any music, but it's like, if you don't try, right. If you don't try, like okay, so developers, this is how they think, this is what they want, right? And here are some of the activities and things we're doing to make it easier for them to right? Like, want to stay and, and engage with us. So that's the platform piece.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. I love it. The, the, the addition of the passive um, consumption track is, is pretty, it's pretty cool. And it definitely, it seems like it mirrors the ability just to go and grab a coffee and decompress for a few minutes between sessions. So that's really cool.
0: Yeah. And you just put on your background, right? And then you're like, okay, I'm just going to like, code for a little bit or I'm yeah going to go make myself lunch but it's like at least you have some like great tunes yeah. <laughs> or another thing we did is virtual swag right people love swag and we're like okay well we can't to 12,000 people we can't send stuff Plus, it's you deeply care about the environment, and you don't want to be wasteful, stuff like that. So, we created a virtual swag page uh, where people can download stuff. So they can download emojis, or Zoom backgrounds, or every event we do, a custom playlists. So people always seem to love the music at our conferences. So we just made a Spotify playlist. So for four hours, right? It's a four-hour playlist. Yeah. Anyways, and so there's a bunch of stuff that you can just download and, or like listen to music because again, it's you're creating experiences, right? Sometimes people are like. Okay, I'm doing an event, and here's a Zoom link, and that's it. But it's like right. it's more than that.
1: <laughs> when you're thinking about the experience design for an event like this, you know what are the models or the heuristics you're thinking through to make sure that it's consistent with the brand and the community expectations, and how do you decide what goes in and what goes out?
0: So it was really interesting. We were lucky that we made the decision really early in March to transform these conferences to virtual events, which gave us about two months to really figure out, like, okay. And we just kind of like took a step back because for at our conferences, right? We had a massive expo hall. We had 10 in-person trainings. We had partner summit, executive track. There were just so much, right? And we're like, okay, well, we can't replicate all of that in a virtual environment. So we're like, why does our community come to conferences, right? So we really just kind of took a step back and we're like, okay, what do developers want, right? And it's really education. Like I always go back to this kind of like knowledge sharing, right? And it's, it's connections. It's connections with each other. And so those are the two things that then kind of went into designing the experience for our community, right? In terms of the type of content we pick, right? On like the broadcast piece uh, from the music and stuff like that to the platform, right? To the, the vehicle that our conference is delivered in.
1: So, you know, fast forwarding a couple of weeks, uh, the conference is over, it went really well. Uh, what are the things you're looking at to measure whether or not it was a success. How would you assess that?
0: Yeah, a couple different ways. It's so funny cuz the, the HashiConf and its purpose has evolved as well. And and for example, it also becomes a really great vehicle for us to do product announcements and feature announcements. So that's one piece, right? It, we look at like the number of like Press hits, a number of social mentions we got. And then, two, we also look at all the folks that attended, right? Live. We just take those and then we create a campaign in Salesforce and we see, I mean, it takes a couple months, but you're like, hey, did this touch point have an impact on helping our sales team close deals? So, revenue, impact, helping move the deals through the pipeline, Mm -hmm. and then also like the press and and, and media mentions that we got.
1: So, if you could abstract your learnings out a bit, uh, you know, a a number of our Folks in our audience are, are early stage founders. They don't quite have the budget and the firepower of a HashiCorp. So, what type of guidance would you give uh, sort of a seed or series A company who's thinking about <laughs> doing some events, doing some in person community? You know, how could they bring the professionalism and polish that, that you do at a massive scale to a much smaller uh, venue and audience size?
0: Yeah, oh, that's such a great question. Um, even in the early days, right, even when we spent a tenth right, on our events. It's a couple of things, right? So when you're small, you have to think about marketing as a whole, right? So it's like really understanding who your audience is, really understanding how to message to them, right? Really uh, nailing down kind of your brand, right? I think what people, and at least what I learned at HashiCorp is I don't just do events, right? I do kind of these brand experiences, and that is a collection of really deeply understanding who the audience is, and then understanding kind of how to message and communicate, like. My team in our brand guide, we have tone and vibe, and then also a style guide of how we communicate with them, right? And how we write messages. And then we also have a brand guide, right? So you can apply that to like a company. I just, I have this for my conferences, but this is like what you should have as a early stage company is is try to have really kind of strong branding and messaging because that then translates. And then you decide, okay, now that I deeply understand who my audience is, that then impacts the type of DevRel and community activities you do. And then if if that is events, right, that's amazing. And then people understand, right, especially with small-scale startups, people like Scrappy, right? Like if HashiCorp hadn't been, right, we're like a five billion dollar company, so we have to put on this type of thing. But if it's also just kind of a Twitch stream, right, where and you're doing a hackathon, like it's also okay to be scrappy and playful because people understand right and and people are empathetic and I actually kind of love those like it's so funny because I work with like one one of my best friends right she's like our lead designer all that stuff Uh, and we've been doing this together for four years now and she's like Yana like sometimes I miss those early days right like I sometimes I still remember like the first Comp, right it's like we just it was in Portland and we just had Blue Star Donuts and we had like a local brewery serve beer, mm. and that was awesome. Right now, it's like, oh my god, we did an event at the Fairmont and had like <laughs> a, someone teach us about shit. Right? It's like <laughs> it sometimes like goes a bit too far. But then you're <laughs> like, well, I can't go back, but I like I miss going back. Um, so it's again, it's okay to be scrappy as long as it's about the community, right? That the content is about the community uh, and that is genuine. I, I had a call with um, a founder last week they were like, Oh, we just, we're about to announce our, uh, or sorry, we just got funding. And I'm like, that's great, but that doesn't help you really build community. Right? Like I think too many times we kind of talk about ourselves, but it's like, well, is that helpful or is that interesting or relevant to the community? So if you do like your first maybe webinar series or event, have the content be about something that like helps people, right. And educates people and not just like, here's how you use our stuff and blah, blah, So. My advice to uh, early founders is really kind of either hire someone like a consultant mm. or or hire like a, I, I think like one of the first hires should be someone that is uh, in devrel right, but that also likes marketing. And there are those kind of people out there that will help you right figure out like how you message and how you market and, and have like solid branding. Like I, I hate to say it, but like developers appreciate good good design, good typography, <laughs> a solid logo, you know, <laughs> mm. <laughs> or something that doesn't look like everything else.
1: Yeah, so I think about this this question a lot. What do, what do you think is the relationship between brand and community?
0: They're, they're intertwined. I mean, it's so funny because for a couple of years, we actually called them brand experiences. Like a conference is a brand experience because the second someone walks in, yes, it is a conference, but who is HashiCorp, right? What do they look like? What do they feel like? What do they sound like? what type of vibe do we want to put out there, right? Uh, do we want to be approachable? Are we cold? Are we not, right? Do we do ball pits or do we not? Like, So a conference is an expression of your brand in a physical space.
1: Yeah, totally, totally agree.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and it, again, it's so funny. I used to do community at New Relic and I, I did their user conferences and I did one that was right before we, we IPO'd and we kept being like, we need more, wow, we need more, wow. So I spent like $150,000 on like iHeart data letters and we had this massive party. We hired, okay, go. And I, I think I had like 600 pounds of confetti and I wrenched out the work. and just isn't that, right? <laughs> but I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm, is that what people really wanted or needed, right? Or was that just us like having fun? And so when I started at HashiCorp, I'm like, okay, who is HashiCorp, right? And I spend a lot of time with the founders and stuff. And I'm like, who are we, right? And for us, it's, we just, again, we're we're very humble. We're very kind. We're very like matter of fact, and we want to be approachable, right? And so now like we don't do parties, right? We'll do an evening social and we'll never have a ball pit and we'll never have a DJ, right? Instead, it's it's about like, again, education and genuine connections and trust building, right? And that's what we focus on. So like when you come to our conference, I hope you like feel those things, and you don't see something like a massive ball pit or a inflatable giant balloon thing. Like everything we do has purpose, right? It's related to the brand and who we are.
1: I think this is a key point that many folks that sort of came up on the devrel or community side of things might not have had exposure to in terms of defining brand values and ensuring there's consistency across the board from every brand touchpoint and. Community and experiences are just manifestations of those decisions. So it's about being intentional and in defining those things in the front end. And I think to your point, the ball pits aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. They're just not consistent with the brand and the, the values and the principles you, you've established for HashiCorp.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's 100%. And same, like, we don't have a lot of alcohol at our conferences, right? We'll have beer and wine, but again, it's that's not our brand. But it's okay if it is someone else's. Mm. But like, yeah, it's so funny, right? It just took me a bit too long to realize that that you have to be intentional because you are, again, even the way we message on social media or like I I have a woman on my team that does comps, right? Like, and she is in charge of how we, like the emails we send out and our website copy and social and stuff like that. And again, it all ties up to like this is the brand and how we communicate and all that stuff. So it's, it's important. Mm.
1: What's been your proudest moment building community and experiences for HashiCorp? Apart from
0: surviving this year. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really think this this year has been, for me, like probably one of the biggest learning and growth years of my life, right? Because I, I had to take my team and I had to unwind events, right? We were supposed to do our Sydney conference in April. We had just finished our European event, all of the design, we had sponsors, we had almost sold out, right? And then we were planning our US event and these are like 18 month planning cycles. So I had to take this momentum we had And kind of pivot the team and first unwinding event, refunding sponsors, communicating internally, externally, uh, being sensitive to things, negotiating with all of your vendors, how to get money back while they're struggling. There's some vendors I've been using since 2016, right? At HashiCorp. So I'm like, how do I? So that was really tough. And then I'm like, how do I pivot my team, right? And then how do I also build out a team and learn how to do? So I think that was my proudest moment of like, surviving that, right? And making sure that my team and I are okay at HashiCorp, right? Because it's like, our whole job was in person. And what happens when you can't do in person? So you're like, well, how do I keep bringing value to HashiCorp? And so again, it was was that kind of like catching it really early, putting together these like contingency plans that helped us work with leadership to make the decisions to cancel and pivot these events to be virtual. And then reshifting my whole team to do these virtual events uh, while learning and then also making sure we hire the right kind of vendors. So I think I'm really proud of that, of like all of a sudden it's like, we could have just done a YouTube stream, but instead it's like we built a platform and our first, our June event, right? Our first kind of virtual conference had 8,000 people hmm. and it, it worked.
1: <laughs> what did you learn about keeping a team motivated and keeping their head on straight during the times of chaos? How, how, did, how did you manage that? And what, what did you learn from that process?
0: That's such a good one. Yeah, it, it's like, how do you continue creating in times of chaos, right? When you're just like, and I'm gonna admit, like March, I was really depressed. Like I was like, how do I save my job? How do I save my team? A lot of the vendors, again, I had worked with since 2016, some of them filed for bankruptcy. So I I gave myself a moment to be sad, right? To be sad of the loss of things, of the loss of this momentum, right? Like I had mentioned earlier. like we had a four-year roadmap. I knew week by week where, where we were going to be, what we were doing, right? We we have these crazy like kind of timelines and the way we use a sauna, right? Like our processes are pretty insane. So I let myself be sad, but then I had to like kind of get it together for the team, right? And, and like mm. my team, they, they have kids and they have families and they have lives. And, and I'm like, okay, I have to stay positive and excited for them. But I also like, I have the most amazing team. Like it's five people on my team. And I'm just like so impressed and proud, right? It's like no one has an ego, and we all just step in and help each other, right? Like today, I ordered plants, right? Because <laughs> I, I have a woman that's like editing our keynotes, right, and working with our production team. So she's like, Yana, can you so it's like what I really love about the people I've hired is they're all flexible, and they all just like want to help each other. And that that's I think my biggest accomplishment is that I feel like I hired really well, right? People that are very empathetic and kind, and uh, one of our unofficial kind of team um, principles is hashtag get shit done, right? We have t-shirts made, stuff like that. And it's a very kind of get shit done where it's like, okay, like Baronac, who's our project manager. She's like, okay, all of our processes are destroyed. Well, let's rebuild them. Um, or Amanda, she does all of our comms that are across websites. She said, like, okay, all of a sudden, I woke up and she had drafted. Okay, here's our communication plan, externally, internally, to sponsors, to speakers, to staff, to everyone, right? Uh, and then here's the website changes. And then of course, a uh, Chris. She's like, Yana, like help me come up with names. So while we were thinking of names, she was like creating the logo, right? So like, we were like, okay, should it be HashiConf US 2020, right? So we were playing with all this stuff, and and then all of a sudden, well, it's like, well, digital, right? Digital means hands on, two way versus virtual. So we like. On a video call, right? Like me and Chris, and our designer, like we're like, HashiConf digital. And she did the logo and boom, right? So, but again, because I had these type of people that uh, had these skill sets, right? We were able to kind of pivot really quickly and move really quickly to do uh, these virtual conferences.
1: Wow. It seems like you've built a lot of resiliency into your team.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it's hard hiring, right? I think we we all are learning and, and struggling. And, and so I'm, I'm, again, I'm I'm proud of the characteristics and the things I look for in people. But the biggest thing I think is like. That get you done attitude, right? And and like being a bit humble and not having an ego, right? So if, mm. if you all of a sudden are asked to do data entry, because we now have we have the website, right, where we have to add schedules and speakers, and now we have the platform as well, right? So I have one woman on my team that's the last two weeks been doing data entry, right? But yet she has 10 years of project management experience. But she's like, no problem. <laughs> so it's it's that type of thing.
1: You know, I'm curious, you you're in a role that's very high impact, probably very stressful. What keeps you coming back? What keeps you motivated?
0: I'm one of those people that constantly loves to learn. And I'm at HashiCorp because I feel like I bring value, right? And and I feel like I'm learning and I feel like I'm excited about the company and the product. And then one day that may change, right? And then for me it's something else. But for me, I'm like, this year has been really hard, but this has probably been one of my favorite years because it's like, okay, how do you create in times of chaos? Right. How do you mm. when horrible things are happening? It's like, okay. You can either let that impact you, right, and 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 you feel like frozen, or you kind of can build something. Um, my best friend uh, and I talk about that a lot. It was really cool. So my best friend and I, uh, and she's my roommate as well in New York. Uh, she runs an agency called Scout Lab. It's like a creative agency. So we always talk about this, like how do you create in times of chaos? And so for her, from our bedroom, right, we have a really small uh, apartment in New York. She launched. um, It was called "In My Scrubs," a campaign that ended up raising one hundred sixty thousand dollars for nurses, doctors. So they were able to send ten thousand meals to all of like the people that work at hospitals, right, from our bedroom. Because she's like, "Okay, I can be really sad that like there goes our travel and there goes our life in New York." And and so I I love people like that, right? Or, Or trying to, whether it's something little, right? It's like, "Hey, I just ran this little fundraiser to something bigger." So that's what drives me. It's like, it's creating it. It's learning. It's, it's all of that.
1: Mm. Creating in times of chaos. I, I love that as a concept and a rallying call. That's yeah. really powerful.
0: It was really cool. Uh, so I launched this like uh, virtual event series called Epic Conf. I've always wanted to do my own conference and I just never had time. It, it was crazy because I have epicconf.com and at Epic on Twitter. I've had it since 2012 because I was like, one day I'm going to do something. <laughs> and finally, right? Because it's like, I didn't realize how like how tired I was, right? I was just traveling so much I didn't really have time for any personal stuff. And then once I figured out kind of like how to shift my team virtually, I was like, well, I finally have time. So I ended up with a couple of friends launching this thing called Epiconf and it's this like virtual event series for like marketers and founders and, and people that are just like curious about the world. But we had this amazing talk actually in June he's this amazing artist uh, living in New York. And he's an artist and he's a model and a musician and he's also a black man. And he gave this really powerful talk on like, yeah, how do you create in times of chaos, right? Because it's like in June, uh, the protests were were really just like heated up, right? And, and, and just there's a lot of chaos happening in, in the world. Like being in New York every day, right? You saw hundreds of people go by like protesting, uh, which was beautiful. But then you also had like cop cars everywhere. And then once like nighttime hit, you were just so worried for all the people that were that were out there and again he, he gave this powerful talk of like you still have to create right <laughs> so
1: hmm. that's powerful
0: and i think that's i think a lot of us are trying to figure out right it's like we had all these ideas and plans uh as, as humans uh also as as founders or, or people that run teams or run departments and 2020 really just kind of disrupted all of that And so it's, I think all of us, it's what we're like seven months, eight months in. And it's interesting to see of like, okay, how have we shifted our our different plans? What were we able to do? But yeah, this has not been an easy year.
1: Yeah. Looking forward a bit. What are you excited about?
0: The theme of Epic Comp, which I really love is like how to build things better than before. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I'm really excited about. Because we all had these plans and these ideas, and they got disrupted, right? It's like, you can no longer do messaging or press or launches or DevRel how you used to. But I think we can come out even better, right? Doing things stronger and differently and better and more impactful. So that's what I'm excited about. Mm. And the little piece that I own at Hashtagorb, I think I'm really excited to explore like how to push these conferences, right? How to really continue learning how to build these like digital-first experiences. And then also, what does a hybrid event look like eventually? with the goal of, like, these are for community building. Hmm.
1: Are you reading anything interesting lately?
0: Yeah, I stopped reading business books for a while because I think I was a bit overwhelmed. <laughs> I really love books that are about, like, magical realism. So one of my friends mm-hmm. had given me The Night Circus, which was beautiful, and I just read another book by the same author. Her name's Erin. Gosh, what's her last name? It's called The Starless Sea. So just it's, it's things like that, right, that kind of, like, transport you to another world that are just cool labyrinths and, and and exploration and all of that stuff so hmm.
1: so i asked this question to everyone that comes to the show the podcast is called developer love so i'm curious what's one thing you're loving right now
0: just about like developers or <laughs>
1: or dealer's choice just in general yeah
0: what i'm really loving and what has happened in my life i didn't realize how tired i was right i think we were all just moving and running mm-hmm. so quickly forward, right? We had work and and social obligations that I've really enjoyed. St- like stillness has been my word, just kind of being still. Like even, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to you like while in Berkeley where I grew up and I'm in like, I'm with my parents. And the last time I just hung out with my parents, it's so funny because uh, HashiCorp has an office. So I'd stay at their house, but I'd maybe see them five minutes because then I'd run to the office We'd have work dinners. I'd meet up with friends and I'd get home at midnight and I'd fly home two days later. But to just kind of be still, right? Either Mm. be still with my thoughts or be still like by myself or just to sit there with with my parents and just talk to them. Like I'm no longer checking my phone or email and just to be present. And I didn't realize how I wasn't. And I think that's the thing that um, I've really enjoyed from this year or my learning from this year.
1: Mm. That's beautiful.
0: Yeah, it's deep. I try to go deep here. It's
1: <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> so what we do. These conversations tend to, tend to move there. The folks we talk to are typically empathetic community builder types. And so the guests of the show have historically not been afraid to explore those themes. So,
0: Yeah, I love this podcast. I love what you're doing. And I think, yeah, we're all just trying to learn from each other. And, and I don't have all the answers. I'm like, this is just kind of what I've learned. And and I hope, yeah, someone can learn something from it. and. That's what I think what makes us so interesting as humans, right? It's just like thriving for knowledge and and, and yeah.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I'm a I'm a learner. One of the things we value a lot at Orbit is, is learning. Yeah. Um, this podcast is a lot about that. Thank you so much for sharing your learnings today. If people want to learn more about you and EpicConf and all the stuff you're working on, where, where can they find more online?
0: Yeah, uh, you can just find my website or, or on my Twitter. I'm just Yana Bruda on Twitter and my website's yanabruda.com and that's just where I talk about my work. I've also been blogging a bunch on Medium, uh, just publishing like our contingency plans or how we're approaching building these um, digital-first
1: conferences. Oh, cool. That's amazing. Yeah, we'll link that in the show notes. Yana, do you have any parting thoughts you'd like to share with our audience before we part ways today?
0: No, I think we covered a lot. I think um, this year requires a lot of empathy and I think just applying empathy into how you communicate and, and the type of programs you build and it's not ignoring the fact that this has been a really tough year for everyone across the world, and and, and applying that to again how you message or communicate or to the type of programs you
1: launch. Hmm. Yana, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. It's it's been a real pleasure to learn about creation in times of chaos and how to have empathy at scale and all these amazing things you've talked about. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom.
0: Thank you for having me, Patrick. It's a pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to Developer Love. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five star rating on iTunes and tell a friend. You can learn more about Orbit at orbit.love slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at OrbitModel.